Mike. Hi, Caroline. What are we hearing today? Today, we're going to be hearing a really special episode. We did our first ever live show at Vinyl Tap, and we had some really prominent local guests. Lily Hyatt, who is an awesome songwriter. Check out her albums, Trinity Lane and others. They're really fantastic. And then John P. Strom, who was former president of Rounder Records, and he played in the Blake Babies and Lemonheads and has his own really successful career as a singer-songwriter. So... It was a really special episode because uh, you weren't there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we had a live recording at Vinyl Tap in East Nashville. We should shout out our really great sponsors. Yeah, good people brewing. They gave everyone a free beer. Thanks for the beer. Loosened uh, everybody up a little, I'm sure. I was joined on stage by Michael Eads. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite. So if you missed me, no, you didn't. You got Michael. It was great. But we did miss you. Oh, thanks. And so we're going to do another one in March. Yes. At Vinyl Tap. Yes. Follow us on Instagram to learn more. Here you go. Hello, everyone. Hi. My wife said I would say it exactly like that. Hello. Uh, welcome to Devalued Live. Our first ever Devalued Live. So. Yeah. Please. Uh, this event is brought to you by Good People Brewing, so if you have not checked out the Good People Brewing yet, go to the bar and get yourself a, a free beer. It's pretty sweet. Uh, but we are joined here today with Mike Ackley from Devalue. Thank you. Lily Hyatt. And John P. Strome. Am I saying it right? Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Well done. So we always start our episodes by asking, do you think art and money go together? So John, why don't you start with this? So no, I don't think necessarily. Uh, I'm, I'm an artist first and foremost. Uh, I, I work in the music business in various capacities. We can talk about that, but I have made records my whole life and, and uh, <clears throat> I'm now a, a sort of middle-aged hobbyist and uh, I make music for the joy of it. And I think that anybody with creative instincts should, should pursue their creative path, no matter what it is, without any regard for the financial gain. And you know, then on the other hand, I think in the business of music, music is commerce, then yes, absolutely. And music sort of colors every aspect of music as a livelihood or music as commerce, but I don't necessarily think they have to go together. Lily, what do you think about this question? Uh, it's a good question. I like your answer, John. And you know, it's a tough one because they don't have to go together, but they can, you know, by choice. And uh, many of us that choose to pursue a musical career have, need the element of money to live it. So I'm never writing a song like, oh, I hope this makes bank for me. It's usually inspired by something going on, but. That being said, if there is an income from 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 art, I am fine by that. You know, I'm cool with it. <laughs> you want it. So the theme of tonight's conversation is, is does anyone make it anymore? And I wanted to ask you guys, um, when you first realized that you had made it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's for me? That's for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of go a little long on this one yeah. because it's because I, I have I have a, an answer that requires a little bit of explanation. So I was a full time musician throughout my twenties, 
you know, I got a record deal. I had a band called Blake Babies. I played a band called the Lemonheads. And I was really busy through the 90s playing music, producing records, playing people's records. And I reached a point when I was about 30 when uh, things were not going as well as they had. The, the band that had been my sort of bread and butter was, was falling apart. And, you know, the things were kind of going this way. And uh, it was uh, very, very hard because, you know, my whole identity was wrapped up in, in being a musician. And I had all these goals that I'd said I was going to, this is going to be my career. This is what I would do. And when it started to get hard and I had to pivot and think about something else, it felt like failure. It felt like a death, you know. And, and what I did is I panicked and went to law school, became a lawyer. <laughs> like you do, you know. And, and uh, that's actually worked out really well. And that's, you know, I've been able to bring, I think, a lot of value to, uh, to you know, music in general in terms of, of uh, you know, the work I've done since I stopped trying to be a full-time musician. And now when I think back to when I was a full-time musician, I realized I got to do everything I set out to do. You know, I really did, in a sense, make it because all the stuff I dreamed about when I was a kid, I got to do. You know, I got to make records, I got to go on tour, I got to play with famous musicians and, you know, have people recognize me and, you know, write nice things about my, you know, just all of it, you know. And, and I'm very grateful for that. And I'm grateful to have stopped doing it <laughs> and done something else. And, you know, and I'm grateful now to be able to kind of serve the creative community in the way that I do. That's really cool. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I've never thought to myself, oh, I've made it, but I have had many moments of, like, I feel really good about things right now. And just piggybacking off of that kind of, I feel like the made it mentality, it's like, it's what drives you to want more and work harder, but also, like, you can become insatiable in that space, so... Uh, for me, like, it's like little milestones and our victories rather than like looking at the entirety of it and being like, oh, I've made it. Because I don't think I'll ever feel like that, you know? There's dreams that are ever evolving that I'm always trying to catch. So, and I feel like that's just going to how, that's going to ha be how it is always. So, so yeah. Uh, can, can I piggyback on that for a second? Yeah. So. I've worked with a lot of musicians, you know, who are similarly situated, and some, you know, several who are, like, objectively really huge. And I've never met a musician who feels like they're there, <laughs> you know, never once. There's always another goalpost, you know, and that's one of the frustrating things about working in the music business is you can have a musician kind of lay out all their goals and say, "This is what I want to build," and then you build it. They they build it, and then there's new goals. So. I think the idea of a musician saying, yes, I've really made it, is kind of a unicorn at best. What do you think about the idea of, like, I guess the question is, do you set those goals? Like, as a musician or as a creative person, do you sit down and consciously make a list of, like, this is a thing that I want to accomplish? Not necessarily that you feel like you've made it at that point, but just, like, I really want this thing to happen. That's a really question. I mean, definitely. There are things I want to tour in a bus and not my van eventually. You know, I would love to do that. And when I do, I'll be like, hell yeah. Because I will, you know? Like, totally. you have to you have to want those things to get them. Well, at least people like me do. Some, some people just, they just get them. But I got to work for it. When I have a, an initial meeting with an artist that I might work with, and... and I, I'm an entertainment lawyer primarily. I work with artists for a 
period of about four and a half years up until recently, I was a label head. I was running Rounder Records and then Concord Records, and that was a little bit different, you know, because the relationship between myself as an executive and an artist is different than the relationship between me as an attorney and an artist, where it's really about managing their risks and helping them set their goals. But whenever I meet for an artist for the first time, I really, really try to get them to articulate their goals because it's relevant to everything I do. You know, what are you trying to build? And it's really interesting the different answers you get because, you know, the musicians who are more on the sort of creative side of things, who prioritize creativity, are usually like, I want this to be my livelihood. Mm. And then there's a whole other class of musicians who are like, I want to be the biggest artist in the world, you know? <laughs> and right. uh, and they're, they're both valid. It's a different path, you know? Is the second one valid? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Biggest yeah. artist in the world? That's a pretty big goal. Well, I mean, I don't want to name drop here too much, but I will say that, that one of the developing artists, you know, which is completely inconsistent with... with uh, the kinds of artists I usually work with, but one of the artists I, I brought into my law firm was Morgan Wallen, and that's what he said. Wow. You know, in, in so many words, yes, I want to be the biggest artist in the world, and, and look at it, you know? It's like, look at there's a path to that, you know? Yeah, right, you know, it's know like... he got there the way he thought he would. I don't want to delve too deeply into that, but in terms <laughs> of profile, you know, it's like there are artists who, you know, want to be in a commercial space and want to be huge, and that's the goal. What's your goal? I want to play, you know, three nights at, at Nissan Stadium. You know, right. it's like there's that exists in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's not usually within the sort of purview of somebody who's, you know, playing on a, on a you know, what is it, Thursday night in the basement east. It's more about I want to own a home and stuff like that. Right. You know, the, this like I want to have a context for what I do where I can create and have the resources to do it. You know, that's a different path. Yeah. But, but I think creative people, and I don't want to generalize here, but I think they're kind of universally inept at business matters. Um, I think they feel like the, the songwriting portion is like the Herculean task that they need to overcome. And how do you navigate being successful at both? I mean, I've been running most of my business on my own for years. Like, I have people I work with, but I... I am a creative and I love that part of things, but I also take pride in the business sensibility that comes with building a career out of it. Like you have to be hands-on. If you don't want your money mismanaged, you have to watch it and you learn a lot. And being out on the road and having a team in my band, like I'm a business person too. You know, I have to be. So it's not impossible to marry the two and you don't have to sacrifice one to be good at the other, in my opinion. Was that a skill that you had to learn on the fly, or was that something that you knew going in? Yeah, I learned it through experience, you know, and just learning how it works. And also, like, my dad's a musician, and he's a good business person, too, you know? Like, he, he adapted that, and it's, it's, it's done right by him, you know? So <clears throat> that's something that I think is possible, and... Uh, you just got to learn it. You learn the business through being out there and meeting a lot of people, you know? So um, there's a savviness to it as well. So I like, I, I honestly enjoy that aspect of things because your music becomes your business, you know? So God bless you. <laughs> well, there's, I understand the, the psychology of this pretty well because I, I have been negligent in 
my own business before. You know, I signed a bad contract. That's how I ended up. And it wasn't just, you know, pure sort of mental breakdown and maybe decide to be a lawyer. It's because I had to, you know, find a way out of a bad deal and, uh, you know, kind of back into the whole thing. But I try very hard as a business advisor, I try very hard to get artists to take responsibility for the business because there's a thing where you're doing what you love, you know, when you're a young musician coming up and you're playing to an audience and you're getting fans and, you know, you're getting accolades where it's like a buzz, you know, it does not feel like work. Even with all the work that goes into it with get in the van, sleep on the floor, you know, be with the same annoying people all the time. Getting to do it is, is awesome. You know, you think like, wow, I could do this for my life. Well, you know, if somebody's going to write you a big check for your music, that's because they know they're going to make money from it. And that's your money, you know, that they're going to make. And, and, you know, I want artists to understand that, you know, sort of blindly, you know, going into these business situations and taking money is probably betting against themselves. You know, they could build their business in a way where they could have much more security in the future if they took it seriously and, you know, understood how to organize their business, understood how to build a team, understood how to, you know, build trust with fiduciary relationships and things like that. You know, like people would do if they started a regular business. <laughs> you know, like you're going to open a record shop. You're probably going to, you know, form an LLC and, you know, get insurance and stuff like that. You know, musicians don't think about that until way after the fact. It's like, whoa. You know, when I do, when I represent bands, I make them have an agreement before I let them sign a deal. It's like, no, if you're going to work with me, you're going to get organized because otherwise you're going to get in trouble, you know? It's not like the guy at McDonald's saying, do you want fries with that? It's like, no, this is the basic stuff you need to do to have, you know, to, to be protected, to manage your risks. So, yeah, I'm a huge, you know, kind of uh, advocate for taking ownership of your business, literally and figuratively. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious, you know, this whole conversation to me, this, this show to me, the value is largely... I think coming from like the very DIY space. Like I follow a lot of local musicians and I'm very passionate about them, but I know that they're doing it like in their bedroom, in their home studio, and they're putting recordings together and they're putting them on Bandcamp and distributing them with DistroKid and putting them up there. So there's like very base level, like very low level. They probably don't have music lawyers. They aren't really being approached by labels. Like what is your advice for like, what is, what is the next step there? Should they look for a label? Like you're saying, you can do this as you're on your own. Like take your own fiduciary responsibility and make an LLC and think about these things. Like what is the sort of next step, I think, once you've kind of crafted a great album? Should you be looking for a music lawyer? Should you be looking for a record label? Should you be, you know, just trying to DIY tour, you know? One off or should I? Whatever. Well, let's, let's start with you. Let's, what do you think about that? Well, that's a great question, and I think we're in a really cool time right now, and that all those things you mentioned that like harken back to many of us how we all started DIY are very powerful. You can make records at your house, you, there's all kinds of you know, like you can do a lot of things. And not to say like labels or studios aren't really important factors, they are. But like, I feel like anything goes and <clears throat> the DIY method of things is very exciting to me because we have all these tools to promote ourselves now. And uh, 
I really, I really don't think there's a right or wrong. Like I've been making music at my house. Uh, my husband makes music at his house. He's put his record out all by himself. I've watched him do it. It's awesome right. and it's growing. I know it's possible. I've and you know it's exciting <clears throat> to see those kinds of journeys. That being said, I have friends that have gotten signed to major labels, and that's been a really great thing for them. I really think. As idealistic as this is, just staying true to the thing that drives you to the place and makes you most excited about your music is the ticket. Because if you have that energy about your music, people attract to that energy. And of course, press and all that stuff is important, but like, hopefully, this, I believe in the snowball effect, you know? It's like, what you're putting out is what you get back. So yeah. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it's just believing in and what you're doing, and you can really maybe do anything with it if you believe in it, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said something in there that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna focus on, and it's that, that that's, you've made something great, right? You said, okay, you've made a great album. Right. So this is important, because I love getting to do stuff like this, because I am, you know, incredibly selective about who I'm gonna work with, because, you know, I, even, you know, I, I was literally an A&R person for, as a label president for a number of years. And, you know, I, I went, you know, having that headspace and knowing exactly what a, you know, basically major label type platform is looking for, you know, confirmed a lot of things for me. But, you know, I'm always, I've always kind of had a, a you know, sort of talent scouting mentality. I, I you know, want to help artists that are great because I know their doors are going to open. You know, and if there's some objectivity to it, but it's like, you know it when you hear it, right? And I think that the idea of a label is very, very different now than it was in the era when I started. I put out my first LP with Blake Babies in 1987, and that was a thousand LPs because back then, how did you get your music heard if you were an underground band? College radio. They didn't have CD players, yeah. you know, so if you wanted to get on the CMJ chart back then, which was very meaningful, you had to make an LP, right? Do people know what CMJ is here? College Music Journal. It still <laughs> exists, but college radio back in those days defined a genre. We used to, you know, this is before you called it alternative, you called it college rock. Why? Because of college radio. So we knew as kids we had to get on college radio, we had to make an LP, and that was how we were going to get a record deal, which we did. Yeah. You know, and it was a great plan for that time. It wouldn't be a great plan now, you know. Sure. It just, you know, I mean, it, well, it's interesting that vinyl records are, are, you know, such a focus of our industry now because back then they were on the way out. People would be like, oh, you make it vinyl. We got CDs now. You know, it's a new thing. It's like, well, because they're really expensive to make, you it know. still are. Right. Yeah. So anyway, my point is, before I go too, too far down that rabbit hole, Back then, you needed a label to have success because all the resources you need were within the sort of rubric of a label. You needed access to a studio. Studios were expensive. They were not homes. There weren't really home studios. You had to go in and spend, you know, six, seven hundred dollars a day to get a studio. You needed, uh, you know, access to a publicist who could, you know, pitch to print magazines because you didn't have the internet. You know, yeah. you needed a. Uh, radio promotion to a much smaller number of stations within formats. You needed physical stores, moving products around, all this. You needed infrastructure, you needed investment. Now that's all broken down. And you know the DIY approach is much more uh, 
you know, I mean, you can be a lot more optimistic about your, your, you know, your potential outcomes as a DIY artist. You know, you could go viral any day. Anybody could. And a lot of what labels do now, especially major labels, is sit around and wait for that to happen. And I can tell you that from my perspective as a label head, I probably wasn't going to get interested in anything that didn't have, you know, half a million monthly listeners on Spotify. Interesting. You know, unless it was great. Although I did see that Sierra Farrell was on the cover of the the um, Nashville scene today, which made me really happy because I signed Sierra Farrell and I signed her from a YouTube video and she had none of that going on. She didn't have music on platforms. It was just so great that it was going to work. So occasionally you just got to be like, holy shit, I got to, you know, move in this immediately because here's a great artist, you know, but that's the, that's rare, Interesting. you know, but if it's really great, then you can sort of quantify it through data. And I think that, you know, people asking people to shop music and stuff like that, that's problematic because everybody kind of knows everything that comes out and it's like, you know, they're probably going to come to you, you know? And I think it's really, really important for artists to be prepared to bootstrap to get to that point and to be willing to accept that, that, you know, that, um, you know, having, having a modest audience is kind of great in a way. I mean, it's like getting to do it is kind of great. And I think thinking like, why aren't we big? Why can't we tour? You know, why aren't we, why don't we have half a million, you know, monthly listeners on Spotify? You know, it's because not everything's gone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that gets back to the idea of what is making it, right? Like the theme yeah. of this whole chat, what is making it? And, you know, half a million listeners on Spotify, I think maybe isn't the definition of making it for, for a lot of artists. From a certain perspective, it's like, oh, I'd really make it if I got to that point. But from the perspective of somebody, you know, at Republic Records looking at it, you're like, oh, yeah, you got your foot in the door. That's a good yeah. start, you know. <laughs> if you get that to about 10 times that, then, you know, maybe we got something. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's like that kind of reality is kind of brutal. And I think having this model where you can track consumption that closely is kind of brutal because, you know, it's like... <laughs> yes. For sure. You, you, and, and I'm going to get back into this world because I made a record. I'm putting a record out on a label next year and I'm excited about it. But it's like, I know that I'm going to be paying attention to that stuff even though I don't want to. Yeah. You know, because it's like I'm kind of hardwired to do it now. I think a lot of artists naively think when they make it that they're going to have all this time for their art and they're not going to have to <laughs> bother with anything else but they'll just be writing songs all day constantly how true is that successful artists work so hard right i mean you work so hard yeah really what's your balance now like yeah. or do you get time to write music or do you have to carve it out how many songs do you write a day <laughs> i mean i stay busy but there's always time to write songs you know it doesn't take you know just do it you know and i'm mm -hmm. always it's I have time to write songs, and I do, you know, like, because I like to, I love to, that's the butt of all of this, so if I'm not doing that, what the hell am I doing, you know, so I make it a priority, and it, and it like anything, you just make the time, you know, it's definitely possible. Well, the problem now is content, right, this word, and I hate that word so much, I hate it, I really do. Because people don't know how to parse content from art. You know, it's like a Lily Hyatt record is art. You know, the stuff you post on TikTok is content, right? Yeah. You know, so it's like all this nonsense that you need There's for marketing. There's a lot of professors that will disagree with you about this. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about because, <laughs> well, look, I mean, you could say, yeah, that TikTok video is art, maybe. But, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm talking about sort of promotion marketing materials that, that are intended to boost 
you know, the art that you're trying to connect with an audience, right? I would get very upset if somebody would call, you know, like a Lily Hyatt album content. That's, I think that, that's the value, you know? And that's something that's from the tech industry, you know, they, they create the pipes and they, they need the stuff in it, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, it's fungible, it's just music, whatever. No, I mean, music saves your life, right? I mean, music is absolutely essential for having a quality life as far as I'm concerned. It's not content. Art is meaningful. But, you know, if you're a successful artist, you know, with a lot of demand, then the demand for just creating all this stuff is constant, you know? The number of interviews you have to do, there's so many more publications, so many more stations that need bumpers and promos, so many more sessions to do, so many more of this and that. It's like being on tour is, is an 18-hour job, you know? Yeah, I would take it even further than that. I had a conversation with Tristan several months back, and she was saying that she felt this sort of internet pressure to sort of post something new to Instagram every day. Like, your fans want to see something, you got to be interacting with them, you got to be engaging. And she would, you know, take a selfie, or, you know, maybe they're in the studio and they're recording. And at, at some point, she, she said she felt just this, you know, a fatigue of just like, there's only so many selfies I can put online. Like, she's got kids, she's got a husband, she is writing music, she's doing things, but you, there's this pressure to like, if you want to build your career, you really need to be like, every day, feed the algorithm, put something out there. Uh, and that's content, that's not art, that's content. Content, yeah, exactly. Well, see, that's, about that? she's, she's self-motivated though. Other artists have the label having to tell them to do it, and that sucks. Right, yeah. Lily, do you feel like that pressure at all? I have a lot of feelings about that. Uh, it's <laughs> love actually hear. making me excited right now, but I've come to a lot of different understandings. I've uh, and to each their own, and I understand that pressure, and I've driven it hard in those outlets before, and I still post on my Facebook, but I recently deactivated Instagram simply because I was like, are we allowed to cuss here? No. Oh, yeah. cuss all I was like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Not Instagram, but I was like, that feeling that Tristan's talking about, yeah. I'm like, oh, I better show what I'm doing so people care about me, and I'm yeah. like, you know what I'm gonna do? Not look at this and go make a really cool song, so when the time comes, people hear it. Like, we can't forget, songs are powerful. If you make good music, it's gonna find a way. I really believe in that. And like, I feel like we're programmed to think we're beholden to these visuals constantly. And like, it is important. You wanna put yourself out there. And again, like if you're feeling good and wanna show everything going on, that's great, do it. If it's taking from your life and making you feel mentally ill, then do what you gotta do. You know, like don't. Yeah. I personally don't think we have. I've had moments where I'm like, is my career going to end now that I'm not, you know, displaying every moment? And I'm like, I don't think so. You know, so that's like. That's a real fear. That it's it is. Legit, and, it's, real fear. and that makes me angry for some reason. I mean, that's where I'm at with that. I'm like, I don't, you know, like not the, not Instagram, not Facebook, not social media. Like it can be fun, but like I just. That can't be the thing detracting from what I do. Right, it's an obligation that should make you mad. Right? It's a part of things, yeah. you know, do what you need to do, but like, don't let it rob you of your joy of making something great, you know? Yeah. So. But that's interesting because, like, when I grew up, music occupied this kind of sacred place in culture, and it doesn't anymore. And music is competes with all these other things, and social media included, and now social media is a part of the way that artists 
reach fans and songs spread. And so if you don't do that, um, you're like, are you saying that, are you, you're, you're relying on the algorithm for the song to find its audience? Or are you are relying on your fan base? Or are you relying on the fact that the song is so good that it's gonna get heard? I'm relying on, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but for me, all that, yeah, I'm just like, oh, this is exciting to think about. Because, like, I feel like we have to believe in people. And, like, I'll just speak for myself and where I'm at with things. I feel like I've planted enough seeds and I have enough friends around town. And if I'm doing shit, like, people see it. You know, like, the same ring of people kind of see it. And uh, so that's why, you know, I'm just not going to be fraught with nerves to to constantly show but that being said i also understand like i'm not a big deal or anything but i have like worked as a musician for enough time that i do have a fan base and they do they are loyal and they tell their friends so like that's the luxury of where things are at for me right now but still like i get fearful because just today i was like I've been on a tour and I haven't posted any Instagrams about it and I get really sad about that too. It's ridiculous to say out loud, but I'm like, I wish people could see, you know? But I've also sat in hotels and looked at videos of myself and been like, I feel crazy. And so I'm just like, I'm gonna just try not doing that this time. See how it goes. That's just my personal experience. Ah, that's great. That's wonderful. Really is, yeah. yeah, relying on the algorithm. I mean, you know, it's it's a fool's errand to rely on the algorithm for anything. You know, I mean, think about these people who are, you know, make build a build a business on YouTube and then they switch the algorithm and you know all of a sudden it's like their revenue drops by eighty percent. That happens all the time. You know, it's like it's very dangerous to rely on algorithms for much of anything. You know, and I think that. <laughs> They're not your friends. No, and they change, and they change in obscure ways that you can't predict. And I, I know this because I've worked with very, very smart marketing people that, that you know are constantly chasing algorithms and you know trying to figure out how to actually reach real people with digital advertising and stuff. It's like it's a very, very you know kind of unsettled world. And you know if something goes viral. That's that's you know that's that's great. That's what it is. You know, it's like the entertainment business is so much about viral content now you know and but it's it's also a fool's errand to try to chase virality like that you know i tell you that my uh i have a tiny indie label myself and i use a music distributor who emails me every week and it's the subject of the email is latest tiktok trends and they're just like here's what's (laughs) happening on tiktok this week like go after it I deleted immediately. <laughs> well, my 18-year-old my son, who's just as skinny as I was when I was 18, is trying to trying to build muscle now, you know, so all of the social media in, in my house is all about, you know, getting ripped now. So. <laughs> um, they just mean very different things. <laughs> getting ripped. Yeah, getting ripped. Getting ripped. Bomb rips. Yeah. No, fortunately not Sorry. about that. But it's all... It, um, well, we, 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 this is my son calling. He's calling to complain because probably because I'm amazing. Like, we don't oh, have time for both of you, but I, I would love to hear what is your like one piece of advice for uh, aspiring creatives. Yeah. How do they go I, about I, doing can, it? Can I finish my thought on that last question? Though? Yeah. Because there's there is one more thing I want to get out about that. So, 
what Willie's talking about, actually, you know, and you've been at this, like, I, I saw you perform probably, you know, eight or nine years ago, so you've been doing this for a minute, and, and you've built the kind of fan base that is going to keep up with you, right? So, I mean, are you at the point now in your career where you can go to a market that you've been to half a dozen times and have a pretty good idea how many people are going to come out? I mean, some some places I'm like, oh yeah, and other places I'm like, I don't know what it's going to be like in Idaho tonight. We'll see, guys, you know? But all that to say, like, I'm also wanting to grow and expand on that and gain more fans, you know? Like any artist, it's like, yeah, you want more people to always show up, but there's a solid, there's a solid thing going on right now well, that I'm like, all right, this is something like about how to get around that problem of platforms because you know I'm grateful the platforms are there I'm grateful you know and I, I feel like you know we have to constantly reflect on the fact that we have this consumption business that is actually you know bringing money into the music economy although it's problematic you know it's very different from how it used to be but it doesn't work for most people for most artists it doesn't work you know and so I like the fact that, you know, one of the reasons why I've started leaning more into technology and what I do is because I think technology is going to open doors for bringing artists and fans closer, you know. And I think that's the goal for a lot of artists is to be able to have a fan community that's very engaged and very close, you know. And, and I've seen that in the artists I've worked with, you know, on the label platform where we have a web store, you know, how much people are willing to buy you know, collectibles from artists, how much they're willing to pay for, you know, access and, you know, just to be part of an artist's life. And, you know, it's like if the goal for most artists is to have, you know, the equivalent of a of middle class career, you know, I've, I'm a lawyer, you know, I've, I've been able to raise a family with, with the money I make as a lawyer, you know, some of which is from music, some of which is from other stuff, but it's like, there should be a more well-worn path for the sort of middle class of artists to be able to make a living for sure. serving a fan base, you know, even if it's modest, even if it's a few thousand people around the world. The internet brings us all closer, you know, and it gives us the ability with all these tools like Shopify and like, you know, like, you know, tokens and all, all this stuff to be able to actually serve fans in a meaningful way. So that's what I'm excited about. So what advice do you have for creatives um, getting into a life in the arts? Well, I mean, I think first off, you know, find your voice and, you know, find something unique about your own art that resonates with people. You know, if you want to actually be in the commercial sphere and make money, you know, understand that that's something you have to earn by appealing to an audience. You know, it's we're not at the point where we're you know, getting government grants for making art music now, there has to be a market for it. You Are know? you saying move to Canada? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always really stoked when I work with Canadian <laughs> artists, especially on a label platform, because they, can, they right. can get grants and that makes it cheaper. But um, no, I wish we did have something like that and, you know, in our communities and, and, you know, in our country, but we probably won't, you know. I think that's something to work towards. But I think it is important to, you know, to learn your, your craft and, and d develop a voice. And, you know, to, to if, if you want to have a career, to treat it as a job and find people that can give you good advice so you can actually, you know, build a foundation, own your IP, you know, keep control. And this, this is the big one for creative artists is if you get in a label situation, 
They might tell you how to make your record, and they might have the contractual right to do it. That is a catastrophe. That is far worse than having a shitty royalty. You know, it's having some jackass telling you how to make your record. It happens a lot. It does. Yeah. And, you know, to understand that, that if you're availing yourself to a, a platform and signing a contract, that that might be a problem you'll have, you know? So I think to, you know, to develop an authentic and original voice and to make sure that you're well advised when it comes to those business decisions, especially ones that involve transferring ownership or, or rights in your, in your work. Okay. Um, I think just don't sell yourself short, you know, like if you're a creative person and you want to pursue a life in that and you want to make it your living, you'll encounter, I'm sure a lot of people here know this because there's a lot of creators around the city, like go after what you want. Nobody has to define it for you, tell you, oh, well, it's about this now, or actually you're too old or you're too young or you're too, you know, Nobody's ever really done that to me, but there's all kinds of messages you get that you're like, oh, I'll never be able to do this because I'm not this. And like, forget that, you know? Nobody will do what you do if you hold on to it. And artists, you know, do really powerful things over time and things happen that we don't see coming. So like, falling trends is fine, but like, staying true I think is a powerful thing, and and uh, so yeah, don't sell yourself short. You know, you don't have to be like everybody else, and you don't have your timeline doesn't have to look a certain way. Nobody gets to define that for you, but you. So. Well, so. I hope people tell me I'm too old. I'll have words for them. Well, Lily, never Hyatt. too old. Lily Hyatt and John Strom, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, this has been a blast. For sure. Uh, if you haven't tried out the Good People Brewing beer, get your first beer free. Uh, listen to John B. Sturm's forthcoming record. Uh, or White Babies, or Lemonheads, or Antenna, or all kinds of bands that he's doing. They're all awesome. They're all awesome. Really high up that Sonic music that you should listen to. Listen to Mike's band, Laundry. There's tons of stuff out there. And come talk to us afterwards and let's talk about music industry stuff. Let's form a community that will help everybody. And thank you so much, everybody, for coming out. Really appreciate that. Thanks, Thanks, Thank you. Thank you.